0: Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads.
1: Being raised primarily by a man made me very, you know— man-like in many ways. Like, I never really felt inhibited about just going up to a guy and asking him if he wanted to have a drink or whatever. Um, And I, I think that one of the reasons why I always was able to date the guys I wanted to date was because I didn't wait for them to ask me. This is
0: Death, Sex, and Money. In a couple of years, that old son's gonna burn out and we're all gonna be dead. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and do
1: love them, but what?
0: And need to talk about more. I gotta get paid like something at least, you know? I'm in a sale. When journalist Lisa Lang was in her mid 20s, she vaulted to national fame as a co host on The View, the youngest one ever. She'd been working in television news for almost a decade. But on her first day at The View, she realized she was in for something really
1: different. On national TV, Meredith Vieira asked me, my first day, if I was still a virgin. Are you a virgin? We have to get to what matters. <laughs> then we we'll get to the- to what's important for The View. Because that's just the, how The View was. Did you know that was coming? Oh, I had no idea. I had no clue. And at that moment, I was thinking, oh, man, I, I wish I was still covering the refugee crisis in Kosovo right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing that was most challenging for me was as an Asian girl, young woman, you know, I've always been very guarded about my personal life. That very moment... I, I, I blinked and I saw my father's face <laughs> with a yeah. raised eyebrow going, what are you going to say to that?
0: Lisa now hosts a show on CNN called This Is Life. It's hard news about personal topics. The show is pretty unvarnished for cable news. The story she tells can get messy. That's how Lisa thinks about her
1: life, too, starting when she was a kid. It was just, it was a very um, ugly, maybe too strong a word, but it was just not a pleasant childhood that I had. Both Lisa's
0: parents are immigrants. Her dad from China, her mom from Taiwan. And She says their marriage was not easy.
1: My parents had a tumultuous relationship throughout my life. They had a bit of an arranged marriage. My dad had actually... um, been dating a Caucasian woman, which was kind of a, um, frowned upon by his parents. And so they kind of pushed him to to marry my mom. Lisa's parents got divorced when she was seven.
0: Her mom moved to L.A., and Lisa and her younger sister, Laura, would spend summers there. But during the school year, they lived with their dad and grandmother in a suburb of Sacramento. Lisa says going through puberty while living with her dad was tough.
1: It was not easy, and my grandmother was a very, very pious Christian woman. And so I could never talk to her about anything um, pertaining to sex or even really my body that much. Mm. Um, I found um, comfort in talking to an older cousin of mine, my cousin Diane, who was only two or three uh, years older, but she was definitely more experienced than I was and and she was always she always just had an open door to me um but you know when I when I started menstruating for example I I I had a conflict because I didn't know how to ask my dad to help me buy these things so my cousin Diane was the first person who I called for everything, and she supplied me with uh, um, the necessary feminine products in in the in the first. Uh, I would say the first year. Oh, of really? Diane would I show up with a new supply of tampons
0: and maxi pads in her backpack. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that her mom paid for because her mom kind of, you know, uh, had sympathy for me. Would you Would you feel like you'd have to hide that it was happening? No, I didn't hide it, but it was just you know we just didn't talk about those things. Our family spoke so little of sex that my mom later on asked me about things like what it was really what it what it what it felt like and how you're supposed to French kiss. Yeah, because because I don't know if she ever kind of learned how to do it the right way because her relationships with men were very kind of submissive. You know, she sort of you know didn't feel like she had any control in a lot of those relationships because, you know, she she just never really had anyone to talk to about it. How old were you when you had that conversation? Probably 18, 19. When did you start dating? I never dated throughout high school until I met a Japanese-American boy my senior year who went to another school. And I, I, I'd i never really thought that I would date an Asian guy because um, I went to a school in Carmichael that was completely non-diverse. So when I met Jeff Yoshimura, and his family was just very... Open and, and and welcomed me. It really felt very comfortable, and it felt like home. Um, I, I had a bit of an identity crisis growing up because I never felt totally American because I looked so different from everyone else. And whenever kids would come to my house, it smelled like Chinese food, and they would make you know they would make remarks as such. And while kids were never malicious, um, and and I can't. Go as far as to say that I was bullied. I was definitely made fun of regularly. Um, Boys on a daily basis would come up to me and call me Risa Ring. Um, So this happened every single day. And again, it wasn't malicious. I I was a a perfectly popular kid. I had a lot of friends. Um, But it just it, it, you know, when you are that young and and popularity is so important. You just want to fit in and not be different. Those things really hurt me. And and on many occasions, I would go home crying about it. And I just was really embarrassed of looking different and being different and being Asian American. And
0: you're in high school still when you start appearing on television, right?
1: Yes. And and that actually helped me a lot. Um, I auditioned for a local show called Scratch and the 90s. auditions were held at Scratch a, in, the, <laughs> in the 90s exactly <laughs> like um uh yeah so they held the the audition in a big mall in Sacramento and they chose four hosts out of hundreds of of applicants and 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 I was chosen as one of them there were two boys and two girls and the other girl who was hired, a girl named Rachel, lovely, beautiful girl. She was always considered the beautiful, hot one, and I was considered kind of the, you know, the 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 smart one with good personality. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that really affected me. How did a you? Lot. How were you aware that that was your role? Because whenever people would talk about us, they were always making remarks about how hot Rachel was. And I was just kind of there. (laughs) After two years at Scratch, Lisa
0: landed a reporting gig for Channel One.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Ling.
0: It was a news show for teens broadcast into school classrooms.
1: Channel One for Friday, October 1st, is next.
0: That's how I got to know Lisa Ling. In junior high, we'd watch Channel One in Homeroom. Lisa was on it. So was Anderson Cooper. They shared an office.
1: It was such a unique opportunity for these young kids to go out and experience the world. And I covered things like the Civil War in Afghanistan and the drug wars throughout South America. And I covered stories about globalization in China and India. Do you remember, how important to you was it that you were earning money
0: as a teenager?
1: It was very important to me. Um I actually um stopped taking money from my parents completely right after I graduated high school. You know, I didn't make a ton of money, but I I was a big saver and because I was under my parents' watch, I could save every penny that I made. Um and so I ended up putting myself through a private university. I went to the University of Southern California, and at the time the tuition was about $25,000 a year, and I paid for every penny of it. And uh, that was a huge source of pride for me. Lisa
0: didn't end up graduating from college. She left USC after three years to work full time for Channel One. Then she got the job at The View, and it wasn't an easy transition.
1: Here I was at twenty six years old, on this national stage, and the expectation of me was to be totally open about every aspect of my life. And I really struggled with that um in the beginning because I was so out of my element
0: did you Did it teach you something about uh, the kinds of boundaries
1: you wanted to set? Yeah, because when you when you are on that show in front of an audience, you are under pressure to generate a reaction from the audience. And 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 that's all you're thinking about when you're at that table. And sometimes um you say things or I I have said things that I I wished I could retract. Um but once it's out there, it's out there. You know, I said something once um that was really hurtful about Monica Lewinsky. Um, you know, she was on a college tour talking about her experience. And I we talked about it on The View. And I, and I said something like, you know, I don't know what she's talking to college kids about. I don't know what's so educational about being on your knees. And oh, as soon as I whoa. said that, Anna, I know, it's so out of character for me to – assail another woman, even at that time. But I was going for the laugh. Yeah. And, hey, I got one. I got a huge one. And at the moment, you know, it felt really good to get that laugh. But after I said it, it just, you know, it, it was like a dagger through the heart because I, I I realized how hurtful and disparaging that was. And I went back to my office after, after we finished taping, and I got a message. I had a message from Monica just – She reached out to you, yeah. Expressing like, I don't. How could you say that? You know, and I, you know, I apologized to her then, and I apologized to her many, many years later. And so, you know, I was I was young, and I, I I sort of realized I I need to really exercise much much more caution. And I and I have since then I think been a lot more careful.
0: Coming up. Lisa talks about her wild single days in New York City, and how her parents' divorce made her skittish about commitment.
1: Even when my husband asked me to get married, I I wasn't totally sure, but I knew I really loved him. And you know, I had kind of a defeatist attitude about the whole thing, and I thought, look, if it doesn't work, I'll just get divorced.
0: Last week, we asked for your stories about class and the moments when you've been most aware of where you fit economically and socially and where you don't fit. One listener told us about a visit to a coffee shop with her husband's family that shocked her.
1: Everybody starts ordering a latte or a frappuccino.
0: They're ordering a size medium, not a size small, a size medium. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this wasn't a once in a while treat. No, this was almost a daily occurrence, and I just could not believe it. So whether it's latte sizes, the kind of car you drive or something else, tell us what's made you most aware of your class. And how that's affected things, like relationships, or even what you think is possible for your life. Email us or send a voice memo to class at deathsexmoney.org. There's also a link on our Facebook page. On the next episode, I talked to a young couple who met on Tinder. And after only knowing each other for four months, one gave the other a kidney. I mean, it definitely was there that, like, this is obviously going to affect our relationship romantically, but... I also remember, like, if this entire relationship, like, goes to crap because of this, then, like, whatever. A person has a kidney. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Limonata Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure— just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Lisa Ling never had ambitions to be a daytime talk show host.
1: For her, joining The View was a calculated move. I knew that if I wanted to continue doing substantive journalism, I'd have to raise my, my profile a little bit um, so that I could better dictate the kinds of stories I could do later on. But it was a choice that came with
0: trade-offs. She moved across the country from her family and sold a house she'd bought for herself when
1: she was 24. I had to extricate myself from my life and my job, um, and, and and everything in Los Angeles, it was it was crazy. All within the span of like two weeks. What was your romantic
0: life like in that point in your life? You're in your late twenties, early thirties. You're living in New York City. What was it like? What do you remember about that time?
1: Oh, that. Um, hmm. That's th- this is going to probably generate kind of an emotional response because when I. When I got the call that I had been chosen as the co-host of The View, I had been in a very serious relationship with the person that I considered the love of my life at the time. You know, we started dating when I was 21 years old, and um, we decided that we would stay together and just try it because I didn't know what it would mean. I didn't really know many people in New York, so I thought I'd be coming back all the time. And... As soon as I got to New York, I this whole world opened up to me, and I was invited to every party. I was kind of an it girl. I was being written up in gossip columns, and given where I grew up and this kind of middle lower middle class home and community, it was it was exciting for me, um, and my my boyfriend at the time was sort of watching this from the sidelines and so it really affected our relationship hmm. do you remember
0: how you you eventually how did you two agree that the relationship was over
1: <sighs> um you know i think that because he was kind of lonely in LA and you know i was having all of these other experiences we we just decided to part ways cuz it just was it was really unfair you know it, it it in retrospect now it was really sad because he really really loved me and i kind of um you know, I, in many ways, sort of abandoned the relationship, and, um, and I still, you know, I, I still, I, lo- I still love him. Um, you know, m- probably more than any man I've ever loved. I just love him in a different way. Like my, my regard for him, it, you know, goes beyond the ability to express in words um and i and i shared with him you know so many pivotal moments in my life and you know i we're still very very close friends to this day but um i still feel feel really bad that that all of that happened
0: so you you ended that relationship. You're living in New York City. Was dating in New York at the time? Did it feel like exciting? Were you Were you into being a single woman in New York?
1: I was. I I really was. I mean, I think that when I was living in New York and, and sort of coming into my own and um, feeling feeling a little powerful, um, I became. More uninhibited, and I and I, I, I became resentful at the notion that women who decided to have sex when they wanted to were considered sluts. I think I was just starting to feel really good about myself. I also started to hang out with a bunch of girls who, um, you know, <laughs> became my my kind of party girlfriends, and we just we 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 really did it up. Like my time in New York. Um, you know, when when I think back on it, I see myself, you know, dancing on tables sometimes. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. like yes. <laughs> I I was living a life that I I could never imagine. And I found that um, empowering because that was what I grew up thinking that men always did and And that I could do that too was something that i I felt perfectly fine about. I didn't have to have an emotional connection to someone. If I wanted to just have fun with someone that I just could i i I would never want to go back to it at this point but but for that little window, um it was really it was really exciting and fun. and um. You know, I also realized after after kind of doing it for a couple of years that um, you know it's not that I was was extremely promiscuous, but I I was reckless because I can't say that I um, you know always had protected sex or that I was regular with birth control, you know, um, and and. It, I, I was so stupid about it because I could have contracted any number of STDs or could have become pregnant. Did you have a a time when you thought
0: you might not choose to get married, might choose to be a, a oh,
1: single yeah. woman? Yeah, um, the my parents' divorce and the relationship and their divorce was so ugly, um, and I was so traumatized by it as a kid. Um, You know, being sort of shuttled back and forth between my parents and and their constant fighting over money, that I just um, I just never really wanted to deal with it. And after I left the View and moved out of New York and started working for National Geographic and traveling all over the world, I sort of took that same attitude with me. And um, you know, I would I would be in these distant corners of the earth. And I would meet incredibly intriguing people, and it was, you know, it was exciting to establish, you know, relationships out there in the world where no one, you know, knew what I was doing and so on. I mean, it was, I felt very empowered throughout it. In 2007, Lisa married
0: someone with a very different work life, a radiation oncologist named Paul Song. And just as they were settling into their lives together, Lisa found herself on the other side of a breaking news story. Her younger sister, Laura, who's also a journalist,
1: was reporting in North Korea, and she was arrested. That call that I received from my brother-in-law in the middle of the night that my sister had been abducted by North Korean officials was, I mean, it was the most terrifying moment of my personal life. And even today, when I think back on it, that a former U.S. president went to the most isolated country on earth to go secure the release of my little sister. <laughs> um, it's like, um, it's just like you can't write this stuff. And
0: I'm like thinking about how all of that was happening and and where that fits in. you know you're you're 35 years old at the time, your sister' is 32. You're recently married. Like, do? You, how did it change what you thought was important and what your priorities were? It changed everything.
1: I mean, I, you know, my sister and I spent many years going to places that were dangerous, that, um, you know, were unpredictable. And while I don't rule out the possibility that I will you know, visit those kinds of places again because I still feel as strongly about the need to report from those places. Um, Because we now have kids and because of what happened to my sister, um, we are a lot more cautious about any place we choose to visit. Hmm. Did you,
0: were you trying to become pregnant during that time?
1: I wasn't quite there yet, <laughs> even after uh, my sister was returned. It, it, it took a few more years before I felt like I was ready because, I mean, I I, I never really had that biological desire to have a kid. Um, it was just something that, that wasn't on my list of things that I had to do. And then after I had been married for a few years, um, my husband and I— um, after many discussions, decided that we wanted to, to try, and that I thought, you know, maybe I maybe I do want to have a kid with this man, you know, and uh, and um, it, it certainly wasn't easy as easy as I as I thought it might be at, at my age to get pregnant. Exactly. You've talked
0: about having had miscarriages. Did you did you consider? Not trying anymore after those?
1: I didn't consider not trying. Um, So, but it was a a big blow to me in many ways when I had those miscarriages because up until that point, I felt like I could do anything. You know, I'd been such a hard worker all my life, and I thought, well, if I put my mind to anything, I can do it. And so the first time I had a miscarriage, it was it was just sort of like I felt like I had lost control, and that it was my fault, and that I did something. And the second time it happened, it just really kind of sort of shook me to the core. Um, but being the persistent person I am, I, I I didn't rule out that I could become pregnant. Um, I, I you know in a way I became more determined than ever to keep trying. We didn't we didn't exert the kind of effort that a lot of people did, like i we we weren't rushing home when I was ovulating, but we just um you know were were by no means trying to prevent it from happening, yeah, trying, yeah, we were trying, we were trying,
0: and just this is a big question, but when you mentioned that you you had sort of like what you wanted and and your career was has sort of never stopped since you were a teenager. You've been traveling, you've been working. What was it in 2007 that made you feel like you wanted I was to ready marry to get hitched? Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I think it was just something that kind of came with age, Anna, really. And it was it was hard because we both came into our marriage um fairly late you know i was i was 36 and he was 41 and we were very independent and very set in our ways and we thought that we could maintain these kind of independent lives um and and be married and you just can't do that when you get married you have to learn how to compromise and and we didn't know how to go about doing that and so the first three or four years of our marriage, I don't really even consider a marriage because we really started to drift apart. And, and our, our mutual therapist once said to us, if you were in a business, you had a business partnership, you would do everything in your power to make sure that that partnership worked. And you need to apply that same work ethic to your marriage. And that really kind of resonated with us. Mm -hmm. And we have since really made an effort to make our partnership a real priority. That doesn't mean that we don't have problems. That doesn't mean that we still, you know, don't have communication issues. I mean, we're both Asian after all. (laughs) You know, didn't have the most communicative relationships with our own parents. But um, but we are committed – to making our partnership work, and uh, and listen, that doesn't mean that um, we are going to stay together forever. <laughs> but right now, um, we are committed to our partnership. Those are all my questions for you, Lisa Ling. I so appreciate Oof. your openness. I, I I need a cigarette, and I don't <laughs> even smoke. <laughs>
0: That's Lisa Ling. Her CNN show is called This Is Life, and she also has a new web series called This Is Sex. There's a link at DeathSexMoney.org. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the Center for Investigative Reporting in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John DeLure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at DeathSexMoney. And don't forget, keep sending us your stories about how you've experienced class in your life. Send a note or record a voice memo and send it to us at class at DeathSexMoney.org. Lisa's daughters are now 4 and 17 months. And she says she's already got a plan in place for talking to them about sex.
1: I want to be as communicative as I can with my girls. And and, and the most important thing is I want them to f- be able to feel comfortable telling me anything. Um, you know, my, my eldest is only four, and I'm ready to have those conversations <laughs> with her. <laughs> I am completely ready.
0: I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.